Some people love Shakespeare, others not so much. But a Shakespeare adaptation is always a good time. Constellation Theater at 14th and T is featuring a musical called Desperate Measures. It's based off of Shakespeare's play Measure for Measure, but it's set in the Wild West. A gunslinging nun teams up with a sheriff and a saloon dancer to save her brother. Buy tickets now at constellationtheater.org. The show runs through March 17th. Once again, that's constellationtheater.org. Today on CityCast DC, have you ever wondered how long it would take to visit every metro stop on the metro? Well, these three friends don't have to wonder. On July 17th, they became DC transit experts after completing a metro speed run. That is, seeing how fast they could get to all 98 stops on the DC metro. They're here today to explain what they learned along the way and how DC's system compares to other major cities. Oh, and it's Giving Tuesday. So after the interview, executive producer Priyanka Tilbe will be joining for a conversation sponsored by Children's National about the nonprofit hospital's fundraising campaign this holiday season. So be sure to stick around to learn more. Today's Tuesday, November 28th. I'm Bridget Todd, and here's what DC is talking about. Before we get to today's discussion, a quick appeal. CityCast is launching an exciting new membership program. It has been so fulfilling bringing y'all shows about everything from underrated restaurants to important crime updates to rants about DC's bizarre new tourism slogan. We want to keep having these conversations together, so please support us so we can do exactly that. Plus, you'll get awesome members-only perks. Sign up at membership.citycast.fm. That link is also in our show notes. Okay, now on to today's chat. I am here with a group of transportation enthusiasts. Thank you for being here. Introduce yourselves. I'm Benjamin Kreisworth. I'm from New York City. I'm Ben Jaffer. I'm from Boston, studying at University of Chicago. And I'm Hugh Berenger. I grew up in DC, but now I'm studying at Chicago, and I'm actually abroad in Vienna right now. So I'm like two times removed from DC. Okay, so I find the story of y'all's Metro speed run pretty fascinating, but I have to start with why. Like, why did you decide to do this speed run challenge in D.C. specifically? Well, I think that part of it is that we all have a lifelong love of transportation. We all have grown up in cities where they have great transit systems. I'm from Boston. He was from D.C. and Benjamin's from New York. So D.C. looked like a system that seemed like a great one to do for the speed run because uh, it would only take eight hours, which is not insane. And they just opened a new station. So we thought we could do it. And I guess the other thing is just, we got this great crew together. Then I met right after I got into college, Benjamin, we were across the hall from each other and I like got the group together and um, we did a few speed runs in Chicago, similar challenge, slightly different results, didn't go quite as well, but still a great time. And we were like, you know, DC's got these new stations. I'm from DC. I grew up riding the Metro a lot. So like with these new stations, um, it just seemed like a great idea to do the DC challenge. I wonder, are there things that you find special about DC's Metro system that is sets it apart from the Metro systems in other cities? Yeah, so the DC Metro as Ben and Hugh kind of alluded to, it is a well-sized system. It only takes eight hours. As subway systems go, it's a 
relatively well-functioning one on the scale of things compared to <laughs> Chicago, at least. So yeah, that's some of the reasons. And then I guess another thing about the DC Metro that makes it so special is just the history around it. It was not guaranteed that DC was going to get a Metro. And there's this pretty good history of the DC Metro. It's called Great Society Subway. And in it, it's outlined how essentially this was essentially the best outcome we could hope for. And it's really changed DC, the surrounding suburbs for the better. Is that history something that attracts you to the DC Metro? I feel like it was something that I learned about when I was like 15, 16. So like I've grown up riding the Metro my whole life. It just made it even more amazing. Like, wow, this amazing system that we have. It's like such a cool story behind it. And because it was designed in the context that it was like competing with the car, trying to get people out of the car, it's like kind of a suburban oriented system. And it has features that you wouldn't see in a place like New York or Boston, a lot of very like fast sections. Uh, the seats are relatively comfortable. I think also with the DC system is that um, there are two major types of systems for transit in the US. There's like an older system and a newer system. Like older systems would be Chicago, New York, and Boston because they were built early 1900s, much earlier before we had highways. But DC is different because it was built in the 70s and the 80s at a time period when the US is really interested in building highways. And so DC was kind of an, was an odd one out because they decided to build a train system. And it turned out to be really good because they had new technology, better trains, and um, a better knowledge about what a system could look like during that time period. Okay, so let's get into what actually happened in this speed run. What did the Metro Speed Run Challenge actually entail? Yeah, so we woke up at about 4 a.m. and we got in a car and headed out to Ashburn, Virginia on the I new would already Silver be... Linux day. Like, out of this challenge. Wake up at 4 a.m.? No. <laughs> out of the challenge. <laughs> and, and the reason we do that is, is, as we've learned in Chicago, you don't want to wait until the afternoon when all of the delays start building up. And you want to just take the first train, uh, or the second train in our case from Ashburn. And then we went from there, going through the system, into and out of D.C. and into the various suburbs. When we're actually doing it, like, obviously eight hours, that's a really long time. Like, <laughs> you got to keep busy. Um, and we have some evidence gathering stuff that we got to do. We want to eventually submit this record to the Guinness Book of World Records so we can be verified that we've done this record. And they have a bunch of standards for how you have to, like, let them know that you were at all these different places at all these different times. That's pretty time consuming. That's a lot of paperwork. What kind of evidence do you need to show in order for this to count? Yeah, so my job is to write the log book. We need to log the time that the doors open and close at every station. Everyone also has their own roles, which they can describe. My job is to film. So I basically have like a phone on me strapped in literally just like with the phone on my face the entire time. It's up for eight hours. Yeah, and I have to take a little picture of every station. It's timestamped because it's on my phone. And then also, we like to live blog our, our runs on social media, Twitter and Instagram. So I also handle that, and that's a good time. And then there's also it's one more thing. There's also witness statements, which are by far the most involved part of the system because 
we have to basically go up and ask strangers to say that we were at a certain location at a certain time. You have to literally, Benjamin usually goes around and asks random people on the train to sign a form saying, yes, we were here at this time. So that's kind of the more fun part about the whole thing. It's unbelievable that I forgot that. It's the hardest part. <laughs> what makes it so hard? Are you like having to like explain to strangers who are incredulous that you're actually doing this as an undertaking? Yeah, I mean, you go up. So at, at 5 a.m. at Ashburn, I, I started out going up to someone and he was just not having it. He was like, nope, I did not get a word in edgewise. He was like, nope. He assumed I was probably soliciting something, asking for money, asking for a political signature. Uh, so everyone, you know, everyone's in their own world. And it is not until you're like, we're doing this fun thing and seem like a little more you know, like a playful, fun, cool expedition than just another person soliciting you. Yeah, I feel like at 4 a.m. on the Metro, people are not <laughs> expecting like, oh, this person is doing a fun leisure pursuit. <laughs> but they want me to be part of it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. The brand new Arbor at Tacoma is built for your most convenient urban living. Whether you want to enjoy the vibrant Tacoma, D.C. community or comfortably retreat into a sleek sanctuary all your own. The kitchens have striking dark navy and white cabinets, and throughout the home, there are wood floors and smart home technology. Some homes even have a private outdoor space. With a quick walk to the metro, you can easily head into downtown or stay close and enjoy the retail that's on-site. Located at 218 Cedar Street Northwest, the Arbor Tacoma offers brand new one- and two-bedroom condos starting in the upper 300,000s. Visit thearborattacoma.com for more information. That's Tacoma with a K. So T-H-E-A-R-B-O-R-A-T-T-A-K-O-M-A.com. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Okay, so the speed run means that you were just on Metro pretty much the entire day. So what did you do that whole time? You know, eight hours is a long time, and these guys are amazing to spend it with. Like, you know, you do a lot of looking out the window. You do a lot of, like, talking. You do a lot of, like stressing about the next train, whether we're going to have to run to make it, whether we're going to make it. <laughs> and then I guess the other thing is that there's a lot of prep that goes into it. You know, just planning out the route. Some of our transfers, we like to um, go out there in advance and be like, we want to be at this door on the train so that we can like get out of the station and down and around and know where we're going as quickly as possible. So like, I think the Wednesday before we did the challenge, Benjamin and I, we were both around DC at the time. So we went out to New Carrollton, um, figured out which door of the Orange Line train we would have to be on to um, get out the train, down the stairs, out the station and to our bus as quickly as possible. On the day of, did you experience any challenges, delays? Like how did it go? Well, on the day of, it went incredibly well. And this is props to the DC Metro system. But we essentially had no delays. We had a lot of transfers that we knew were going to be a little slow because some of the trains are only every 12 minutes. But 
basically every transfer was made and we fin- ended up with a time that was like one or two minutes off of the time we expected. So that was pretty incredible. So you've been giving major props to DC's metro system throughout this conversation, <laughs> which I appreciate. But I got to imagine having done this speed run, y'all are kind of metro experts. Are there things that you would change about DC's metro system having done this challenge? Yeah, well, I would say one major thing that you notice when you're riding the trains is that at every station, uh, the train comes to a stop and then you sit there for about 10 or 15 seconds before the doors open. And this is entirely unique to D.C. It's not the case anywhere else. And it's a byproduct of the fact that automatic train operation or ATO, is not in operation on the DC Metro. So the train operators have to actually look out the window and double check to make sure they've got the right side. Fortunately, DC Metro seems to be bringing back ATO, but it's a slow process and it probably took 10 minutes or 15 minutes in total for doors to open over the course of the speed run, which is a lot of time. Yeah, that is just one of the quirks of DC's Metro, Another was that I remember when they phased out the human conductor announcing the stations and got an automated voice. It was a little bit of a bummer because it I always loved hearing the, the human conductor saying it. And now we get that sort of pleasing automated voice. So definitely there are some quirks about DC's metro system. Yeah, I think the other thing that we also would like to see is that a contactless um, payment method would be implemented. It's kind of like cities like New York, for example, you can tap your credit card when you go into a station. And unfortunately for DC... You literally have to use a metro card. There's no other option. So I feel like with a contactless card, it would make entering stations much easier and also more accessible to people who are not from DC, actually, to tourists. Because like I feel like when you're going in there and buying a card, it's kind of confusing. So it's really useful to have. You can just tap your credit card and get in. So having done this challenge, do you have a favorite metro station? Well, one thing about the DC metro is that all the stations are very similar to one another. And this is a byproduct of them having been designed basically all at the same time in the 60s and 70s. And Hugh was mentioning the Great Society Subway book, which I was reading on the journey and which described the painstaking process of approving these designs, but they only approved three or four designs total. So it's hard to say what is the best station because they all sort of have this beautiful grand standard design, which outpaces a lot of other subway systems' best station. If I had to pick one, I'd probably pick Silver Spring. As a transport nerd, it's just like this amazing station. It's got like a standard above ground metro station design, but it also has this massive like three-story bus terminal right next door. They see like in the peak hour, I like counted it out. It was like a hundred buses. They're going to have the purple line in there pretty soon. That's a Maryland project, but it's going to be really transformative for Montgomery County. And also like it's above ground. So you can see like all the development that's really been helped out. Wouldn't have happened without the Metro. Like you can see that with your own eyes from the station. And I think that's really cool. If they ever do end up building that purple line or like a new blue line loop in the DC Metro, will y'all be back to do it again? Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. We must reclaim our record. (laughs) Well, we'll be on the lookout. This has been awesome. Thanks so much for being here. And I guess I'll see y'all on the Metro. (laughs) Thank you so much. See you there. Thank you. Thanks for having us. And listeners, don't go anywhere. In just a second, we've got a segment sponsored by Children's National Hospital. 
executive producer Priyanka Tilde is chatting with Lily O'Toole from the Hospitals Foundation about how you can donate this month and literally shine a light in the hospital. Hey there, Priyanka Tilde here. I'm the lead producer of CityCast DC, and I'm here today with Lily O'Toole. She's from Children's National Hospital, which is the only exclusive provider of pediatric care in Washington, DC. And this holiday season, the nonprofit hospital is collecting donations with a truly festive element. Lily, I'm so curious, what is the deal with the Light Up Dr. Bear campaign? Sure, thanks for having me, Priyanka. So Dr. Bear is Children's National's beloved mascot. He is by far the most popular person on staff. (laughs) So we created four-foot-tall replicas, and we've placed them around the hospital for the months of November and December. Now, every time somebody donates, no matter where they are, across the DMV, in California, in a different country, all of the bears at our hospital will light up. And it's really just a heartwarming experience for the kids and families that are spending the holidays at the hospital. Oh, I love that. Do you see people interact with the bears when they light up? I mean, it's like four foot tall, so it's it's like child sized, right? Yes, absolutely. So the really exciting part is having them at the hospital. So across the hospital, we have them in different locations. The kids and families will see them. They're able to touch them, interact with them. But I think the most special part of all is that because they light up when the donations take place, they are able to understand that the community is thinking of them and supporting them during this difficult time. That sounds really sweet. So Lily, why are donations to the hospital so important? So nearly every two minutes, a family in crisis turns to Children's National. And for so many of those families, their lives are turned upside down because their child is sick or hurt or struggling. I personally am a parent to a two and a half year old and I have another one on the way. So I can tell you that gifts to Children's National make a huge difference for kids, but also for parents too. Mm, yeah, I'm sure. What what does the money go towards? Like, what are some examples? Yeah, so three really easy examples are, one, the donations, really, they help kids find joy. Kids don't stop being kids just because they're in the hospital. So art, music, pet therapies, these are all meant to help kids smile and express themselves during really difficult moments. Donations also help us elevate child-centered care. Hospitals can obviously be really intimidating and scary for little kids, and so we provide spaces for families to stay with their patients and thoughtful touches like surgery walkthroughs using dolls. And for those kids with more extended stays, we're helping them keep up with schoolwork. Mm. And then finally, they also allow us to be present in neighborhoods across the region. When families can't pay for care or insurance won't cover a service, that can be really terrifying. And so donations really are there to ensure that kids receive all of the treatments that they need. Wow, that sounds like a lot of unique projects that this money goes towards. Is there a specific fundraising goal that you're aiming for? You know, I think overall, we're just trying to raise as much money as we can to make an impact for these kids. Really, what it comes down to is that unrestricted donations allow us to pivot and allow us to provide families with what they need when they need it most. Mm, That makes sense. So how can our listeners get involved and light up Dr. Bear? Sure. So there are three main opportunities. Please make a gift. 
Go to childrensnational.org slash light. No gift is too small. And of course, no gift is too large. <laughs> we have matching gift partners who will be matching donations dollar for dollar several times throughout the season, notably during Giving Tuesday and then again throughout the month of December. So now is a great time to make a gift. Mm. Your impact will be doubled and really will make a difference for those families. We're also running two sponsorship opportunities for those considering corporate or family gifts. And then listeners can join us for Bear Time Stories, where special guests read to the children's national patients to bring them smiles and sweet dreams. That content will then be on our website and social channels, and we would love for the community to tune in and be a part of this really exciting program. Finally, we have a really neat augmented reality experience where you can scan a QR code that will be posted all over the communities, and you can see Dr. Bear light up wherever you are. If you are a part of a local business and you want to put signage at your location, we would love to have you join our group of community partners. So as you can see, there are a number of ways to get involved in the campaign this year, and we're just really excited about it. Oh my gosh, yes, so many different ways. I definitely want to tune in for those spare time stories. That sounds adorable. Yes, we're really excited. It seems like a great way to engage with families and patients and just bring them a little bit more joy this holiday season. Absolutely. Lily, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Priyanka. It was wonderful speaking with you. And if you want to get involved in any of the many ways that Lily mentioned, check out childrensnational.org slash light to learn more. That link is in our show notes as well. So you can get Dr. Bear all lit up. Thanks for listening. If you want to learn more about Children's National Hospital, make sure to check out our show notes. We've got all the details there for you. That's all for today here on CityCast DC. If you enjoyed the show, share it with your favorite Metro enthusiast. You can rate and review us and subscribe to our newsletter. We'll be back tomorrow morning with even more news from around the city. Talk to you then.